0: the Tennis IQ Podcast. I'm Josh Berger.
1: And I'm Brian Lomax. And our guest today is Jeff Greenwald. Jeff is an internationally recognized sports psychology consultant and licensed therapist. For over 20 years, he's been helping athletes and professionals around the world transform and take their performances and their lives to another level through his personal coaching, seminars, book, audio programs, and online courses. Frustrated with his own performance as a modestly ranked professional tennis player in his 20s? Jeff went on to earn master's degrees in clinical and sports psychology. During this process, he discovered the fundamental principles of athletic performance, which propelled him from a moderately successful tennis player to number one in the world in his age group with two ITF world titles. His best-selling book, The Best Tennis of Your Life, 50 Mental Strategies for Fearless Performance, is one that both Josh and I recommend to all our clients. In today's episode, we'll learn much more about fearless tennis, playing loose, and learning to choose where to direct your focus. We hope you enjoy this conversation with Jeff Greenwald.
0: Hello and welcome to the Tennis IQ podcast. Uh, So today, for today's guests, we have Jeff Greenwald joining us. Now, I actually saw Jeff um, compete a little bit when he was uh, playing in the KPSF Challenger Tournament in 2018 when I was working up in the Bay Area in uh, San Francisco and Marin, and he was um, competing in our Challenger Tournament, and then we actually connected last year at the, uh, the ASP National Conference um, up in Portland, and uh, yeah, really excited for you to, uh, to join us today on the Tennis IQ podcast. Happy to be here, Josh. Brian, thank you. So I think, uh, why, don't we, why don't we start from the beginning, and you, uh, if you could just tell us a little bit about how, how you got involved in the sport of tennis
2: sport of tennis um as i think probably so many of us we see a parent or somebody we we like and love and they're playing and and for me i was on the side of the court watching my brother and my dad playing uh and i'm up there just kind of you know rolling around on the couch and i'm like why why can't i get out there that looks like fun and i started playing and by you know but i was still playing other sports and at uh you know, I was playing baseball, I was skiing and even football and so forth. But I, at 12, I said, I want to be a professional tennis player. So I was at a, a camp, Ron Holmberg camp. there near you guys, not too far in Connecticut, Kent, Connecticut. And I, yeah, at the end of that, I said, I want to be a pro. My parents uh, picked me up. And, and three weeks later, I was on an airplane down to the Boletarian Academy, living in a motel with 60 other kids from around the world. So it, it started, once I said, I want to do this thing, they, they went after it. Well, that's pretty cool, and, and I think do you have a blog post about that, Jeff,
1: on your site, uh, maybe about being there and seeing your parents leave
2: and mm-hmm. how that, yeah, I do how that actually. felt no, no, that's true, I do that's something about loneliness. I think I yeah. talked about the lo- loneliness to fearlessness, uh but yeah, the feeling at twelve to to see my mom drive away and and just uh, be be there, you know, my son's twelve and a quarter now, and I can't imagine him being in. 3,000 miles away, you know, doing his own laundry and the whole thing. And so it was, it was young. Um, And uh, I I got to see a lot of great players early, you know? Yeah. But I imagine that experience also
1: helped build some resilience in you. You know, there's a book uh, out this year called uh, The Best, How Elite Athletes Are Made and one of the common threads of elite athletes is early adversity in their lives, whether it was in sport or in something else, but that actually helped them um, really excel within their sport later on, that they were able to handle those things better than say the ones maybe who weren't quite as elite or, or didn't make it. I'm just wondering if you felt like that may have been part of why you succeeded.
2: It's a great, great point And, and, you know, um, I do uh, uh, believe that Bolatti, in particular, being there with so many good players, being on the back courts, fighting it out—I call it Lord of the Flies. You know, <laughs> it's survival of the fittest uh, at its finest. I mean, you 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 lose a set, you're going to be invariably moved down a court. And I was writing about it recently, actually. Your identity as a player and other people perceiving you as you know this good or that good and and so those sets, uh, which is hard to replicate, right players the distinction between matches and practice is so is so different, um, but at, at the academy uh, practice on the back courts was you, you were fighting for your life, it felt like a lot of times. So I do think that that uh, inspired me, motivated me, drove me uh, in a lot of ways um, for sure and and the research I show that that going through some you know, uh, adversity, some even really traumatic sometimes, uh, situations can make us better. We have to push that much harder to overcome it. And it does help us in the end. So yeah, good, good point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah.
2: So after that, then I think you,
1: correct me if I'm wrong, continued on to university of California or Santa Barbara.
2: And I went to Auburn University actually for one first? year. Okay. Um uh, uh, Hugh Thompson was the coach then, an Australian. He actually still plays on the senior tour, does very well. I played there for one year. Um and it was they were actually, I believe, uh yeah, eight in the country when I went there. We ended up being 20 in the country, but it just wasn't for me. The it wasn't or it just wasn't disciplined enough. And I, I had a friend who who said, California is pretty nice, Jeff, UC Santa Barbara in particular, for lots of reasons. Um, a beach I, I, I love uh, as well. And uh, so I, I made the, the concerted effort to, to directly uh, move to, to UC Santa Barbara, which is wonderful, three years there. So, yeah, very cool.
0: And how, uh, how, how did that experience um, at, at UC Santa Barbara lead you to, to that next step in your journey? Um, playing playing on the tour so I
2: happened to have, you know my senior year I, I really wasn't thinking at that point certainly junior year I didn't have a good junior year but I started playing really really well my senior year and um, beating you know I was up in one of my classic matches up a set and 4-1 against the number one guy in the country at the time Buff Farrow at UCLA and um, and I lost that match that may have may have triggered me to move into sports psychology. I, it, it, one of those matches that, that, you know, we all have plenty of those to talk about, but, um, but that, that, you know, playing uh, well that year. And um, I felt like I wanted to uh, give the pro tour a run and see what, what I could do. And just, I still loved the game. I was playing better actually, as I got older, older. And, um, and so, yeah. And then I played for a couple of years on the tour, but uh even then through college, through pro. And I think the the point I'd love to make to, to folks is just how much better you can get when you, you know, a, as you age and mature and get smarter, but then how to do that and how to do it quicker. So it took me a while. It wasn't until I stopped the pro tour and went into playing in Germany that I realized, Oh, there's a, there's a big difference between how I was competing before and how one can compete or approach competition. So that was a huge transition from college.
1: Yeah, and I think I, I, you know, I feel like my story is a little bit in parallel with that because it wasn't until my thirties that I sort of really figured out that I wanted—I still wanted to get better, wanted the second half of my career to be better. Mm-hmm. Um, and and as I was telling you off air, you know, that's when I came across your CD, Fearless Tennis, and you know, Fearless is obviously a word that you use a lot mm-hmm. in your work. Yeah um but that that cd was really significant for me in in driving some of the best results and rankings that i had in the you know in the early 2000s and i remember you know the thing i really remember from it was the idea of focusing on the process that was repeated a lot on mm. the, on the cd and as as a helpful way of trying to be more fearless right getting your attention on something else mm. and And as I said, I didn't exactly know what the process was at the time. Yeah. Um, And I think as, you know, I've gotten into sports psychology work, it's one of my challenges has been, all right, how do I cut down that time that it took me to figure out what it was, you know, and help bring people along a little bit faster on on what Mm -hmm. that is. And so um, Mm -hmm. tell me a little bit more about like, why fearless? How did you come to that word and realization that it was such a become, I think you can tell me if I'm wrong, but it's become a kind of a cornerstone of your work.
2: Yeah, I would say so. Um, You know, and of course, as you continue to do this kind of work and go deeper into the trenches, you find nuances in in which, you know, it's sort of, it's it's a lot of it is feel the fear and do it anyway. I mean, certainly there are matches and times where uh, you actually do, you do have some fear, right? Yeah. Um, So the fearlessness is about being committed to something other than just as you were talking about just the fact that you know you want to win everybody does right and you want that certainty which we will never get thankfully actually but but we we really try to um to to know the outcome and our brains are naturally wired to want to you know look ahead and uh, assess our the probability of survival here and and so uh you know, the, the fearless part was really sort of relinquishing this almost a brainwashing I felt of how'd you do, did you win? How'd you, you know, and, and obviously the media, um, highlights this and, and, and in the work that I'm sure you do too, working with, uh, any player really at, at all levels, getting them to shift their attention, to prioritize the process and parts of the process, whatever that means to you. But that's a, the fearless aspect is sort of letting go of this uh, universal um, um, challenge of of just getting fixated on, I want this. I don't know if I'm going to get it, but I I really want it. Will it happen? And how do you re-engage in the moment? And that's easier said than done. And uh, you can read about it, but as Michael Jordan said, why would I focus think about winning or losing when I'm playing the game of basketball? Why would you actually? So, but, that's again, it's something that you can think about, but but executing that in the moment is has a level of fearlessness about it for sure yeah.
0: So in terms of um, in terms of practical you know practical solutions or practical you know suggestions for players in terms of helping them to you know play in that fearless way and you know get into that into that present moment rather than focusing too much on the result or the winning and losing, what are some, some um, suggestions or what are some approaches that you utilize with players?
2: Well, Josh, you know what I found, uh, and, and I can't believe I didn't know. And it sort of kills me sometimes that I didn't know this as a kid, but the fact that we can shift our attention, we can focus on things that are more relevant, uh, which, which takes sometimes, you know, it takes discipline and practice, but um, you know, um, I would say that the the concept of focus transformed the way I uh, approached matches and, and and dealt with the moments at hand and continue to do where, uh, for example, um, last year, it's been a year since we haven't been playing a whole lot uh, with the pandemic. But a year ago, I was playing in the 40 Nationals. I'm 54 now. I was in the semifinals against uh, Francisco Clavette who was 17 in the world, wins over Federer and Agassi and so forth. And um, I'm down, uh, I'm down, let's see, 2-0, 30-love, I believe. Uh, and I had a moment where I thought, I, you might get bageled here. You might lose 6 up. You know, the scoreboard popped up in my mind. And, and you know, years ago, playing that guy in the player at UCLA, for example, I, I would have lost that. It would have been a freight train going the wrong direction. But I, I, took, I stood back from that, recognized it was just a thought, let it pass, refocused my attention. In this case, on my forehand, my strength to use my forehand more to loosen up and commit to that. I was a little bit tighter than I needed to be for sure. Loosened up using my forehand uh, and I came back on 176. You know, I won that set. I would have definitely, you know, in earlier days lost that. So what did I do? in the moment I had my focus, I was aware of that thought. I didn't panic because I had that thought. I was able to shift my attention internally and then actually externally to my targets and my strategy. I was able to move into a tactical mindset, not get trapped in the nerves, for example. So the, all of the, so what I'm saying is, I guess, the ability to focus, training your focus, moving from internal to external, et cetera, is truly like opening up a a door to a whole new experience when you play. Yeah, But you also
1: yeah. said you noticed that you were a little bit tighter than you wanted to be. And I think that highlights the necessity of players building awareness of tension in their bodies and understanding some relaxation strategies that they can do to release tension on the court. What, is that something that you train players to do? And, and if so, how, how do you get them to go from a f- place of feeling tight to to beginning to loosen
2: up in that process. Yeah. Well, now we're into the we're we're putting our finger on the pulse here, right? And and the this this universal again experience of being tight, playing it safe, which is what happened to me playing juniors and even uh, through college and professionally playing safer than I would have liked. You know, choosing to roll the ball ball back a bit. You know, getting it in, hoping hoping the the opponent would miss. Right. Uh, so much of what players do. And, um, and so it, it was really like um, uh, getting myself to a, not get trapped in my own tension. So we tend to get caught and hijacked and the fact that we feel tight, not to mention, we just had a thought that, uh, you know, you're going to lose to this guy. He's got a lower UTR. That'll look bad. What's dad going to say, you know, that aside, but that's probably what got you tight in the first place. But, Um, But then now you're tight. I mean, you feel physically tight. You've got nerves, uh, you know, and that's going to vary a little bit depending on the player and the temperament and and, and so forth. But um, you know, most of us get trapped and then vision gets really narrow and we're in that fight or flight state. Right. And the natural thing to do is to, is to just get the ball back, you know, hope for the best. God forbid you're going to you know step up loosen up crack it and miss by a foot that's going to look stupid you're going to feel stupid maybe and give a free point away but that narrow minded thinking you know that just keeps us stuck on this loop right so it's it's a knowing you need a process so to you know to answer your question you need that process and you know one of which includes shifting your attention away from yourself because when we play our best we're not self-absorbed like that right so we get our attention out outward but also you do need the feeling of what loose feels like you need to be able to call it up you need to be able to visualize that uh so it's quick it's not like a thought oh you're tight you need to relax or i wish i weren't tight or i can't believe it's happening again and all of this but you are able to recall the feeling of being loose. I have a scale one to 10, for example. I help train players. What does it feel like to be at a three or a four, which is loose? I see Federer at a three, Roth at a five and a half, whatever. But, you know, what does it feel like to be loose for you? What kind of shots are you hitting when you're loose? Let's contrast tight and loose. Progressive muscle relaxation is a good one. Tense and release, you probably know. So there's a lot of, the techniques are, the easy part, really, it's helping players, you know, do them, feel them, you know, remember to and believe in accessing them in the moment, wanting that, valuing that over and above. I just want this point. It's, it's three, two, 30 all. I, this is a big point. I need this one. It's like, you got to let go again of that and, and, and then utilize your process. Yeah. You're right in the, this is sort of the wheelhouse, right? Of fearless tennis. So you're, you know, I, I could go all day on this sort of this moment, if you will, that's so common for so many players. Yeah. And I
1: think, uh, you know, when I talk about it, I, sometimes you get pushback from players because like, uh, you know, nah, it's got to be technical or it's got to be, I got to change my tactics. And it's very often no, sorry, that's really
2: not what you need to do. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a balance, right. And, you know, in this course I did getting tight with Craig O'Shaughnessy who has been doing amazing work, right. With statistics and all we need is the 52%. Uh, You know, we don't need, I, as a kid, I thought I needed to win every point. I think most players feel like they want to win. Everybody wants to win every point. Uh, They don't like, nobody likes to lose points. There's, there's bad ways to lose points and better ways to lose points, but we're going to lose for probably 45% of, points every match anyway. So, and and so I have players put it into that bucket, you know, but, but it is, um, it it is a challenge for, for so many and uh, and this, the ability to sort of let go of tension, it's not all or nothing, gradually letting go of the tension. Um, But also sometimes, you know, being tactically aware and uh, moving your focus out of the tension, which we get again, sucked into that web to a tactical play is going to often shift your state. So we're always trying to sort of play with the state, but certainly technique is the last on the list in matches, as you know. But tactic coupled with some ment- a mental process uh, can be very, very effective to, to, to execute what you're trying to accomplish out there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I, I really like the, the, that work that uh, you did with, with Craig O'Shaughnessy and, you know, and his work in pointing – pointing out to people that even the best in the world like Djokovic um you know the, the number one player in the world only won 55 percent of points so that you know the the idea is how can we how can we help players be okay with the fact that they're going to be losing you know right right around 50 percent of points and mm-hmm. um to me a, a big part of it is how do we use that time in between points to best set ourselves up for that next point so if you lost that previous point or if you Made an unforced error or double fault, whatever it is. How can we put that behind us and move on to that next point with the best possible mindset? How do you? Um, what, what what is your approach to to helping players with that that process?
2: Yeah, so I get. I think sort of the one of the signature, you know, sort of techniques that I I've come to, I've evolved into and find to be super effective, is again this idea of shifting your focus so I mean between point routine routines are there for a reason right they help us stay focused that we can have confidence in them we have something to do essentially if we can get players after a point's finished roughly it's 12 to 15 seconds and you know in singles where you're ready to go again if we can fill up that time effectively so their brain doesn't hijack them and go to all kinds of places You know we've done we've done a really good service for them, right? To give them you know the brain, the things to chew on to do. One of the things that I've found to be super helpful is bringing their attention into their feet on the walking on the ground. This is just mindfulness, right? From two thousand years ago, how do we how do we stay present? What does that feel like? It's not a thought; it's a feeling, it's a sensation. So when you're in you know walking and feeling your feet on the ground, for example, a you're grounded, quote unquote grounded, but furthest from your head. You're not thinking it's the furthest part of your body from your brain, which is good. And, uh, and, and when we're having a sensation, this is really kind of pretty remarkable to me. I mean, just when you really think about it and, and, and wrap your brain around is when you have a sensation, if if I were to pinch you right now, for example, it'd be really, really hard for you to be thinking, oh, wow, this really hurts or um, God, I wish he wasn't pinching me. Because the the sensation just trumps. If you put your full attention on that sensation, it's like impossible to have a thought. I'd be I'd love for someone to say, "Oh no, I, I'm thinking." Someone tried once, but but they were partly it was sort of multitasking. If you really feel your feet on the ground, and then you feel the grip on your racket, and then you're now completely locked in on the ball, um, tracking the ball. Uh, you know, your attention is there, and you've just insulated yourself from your brain running around all kinds of places. And most, most often the, the rabbit hole, which isn't fun down there, dark rabbit hole. So, yeah. So that would be, I'd just say, well, I guess, real, you know, real quick, just to finish that, it, it, you know, the pre-shot routine is important. What are you doing the few seconds before you return and before you serve and, you know, focusing on your target, visualizing your target, again, being present in your feet, feeling the grip, being present like that sensation is a way that I help players toggle between the internal and external focus.
0: Absolutely. Um, there, I, I guess, um, you know, in terms of the the other time that, that players spend um, not, not actually playing points, um, I, a recent article that I came across um, showed that I think over 80% of the time when you're on court, you're not actually playing points. It's either the time in between or, you know, changeovers or, um, in between sets, um, in terms of, in terms of that other time that changeovers in between sets, these periods of time where players can, um, you know, have, have some time to, um, apply some mental skills or to, um, you know, to, to, to get back into that present moment, or maybe to regroup, um, are there some other approaches that, um, that, that you suggest players, players implement during these times?
2: Yeah. on the changeover, I still like, you know, if things are are going well, green light, you're doing pretty well. I mean, it's really about staying present. Right. And back to mindfulness I think is good and just really trying to stay present in the moment like that. Right. Um, and you know, there's a lot of times though where we do need to make some adjustment, perhaps we're playing a little safer than we'd like. We're not stepping in on the return. Uh, first serve percentage has dropped off. Uh, Maybe getting a little emotional, doubting yourself. So the, obviously, there's all these these little moments and traps, and so it's it's getting more awareness. So that's a lot of the work I do, right? Is creating that awareness, so we can create the process on the changeover, which could be uh, also visualizing what you want. You know, using your strengths. It's always good to come back to your strengths and what do you do well, and what do you feel really comfortable with, and and then finding that balance of controlled aggression, right? Where you're not playing too reckless, but you're also not uh, playing too safe and getting, you know, hurt too quickly and being on defense. So a lot of it's sort of trying to maintain that focus, trying to maintain that controlled aggression, and and then maybe um, uh, cleaning up a particular shot uh, as well. And that can happen really quickly and often visual or um is good. Some trigger words can be helpful too, things that sort of motivate you, inspire you, bring you back. Uh I also like players to have a couple intentions before they play so they can come back to these intentions, which is over and above the I want to win, I, I want to beat this guy, he's a 10.5 UTR, you know, uh, but they have their intentions on what is it really today that I want to accomplish, win or lose. These are important to me. Getting into the net, you know, first strike. Um, and, and again, aggressiveness, et cetera, so so you mentioned intentions, Jeff, and you know obviously that
1: brings us to you know before we go out and compete, maybe preparing mentally to compete we We actually had uh Steve Walker on the podcast in an episode he was talking about all about being competition ready um I think intentions and you know setting some goals or or whatnot for the day, getting yourself in the right frame of mind. What are some, I mean, key perhaps perspectives or mindsets that you think are important that players try to develop as part of their pre-match routine?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So of course this varies to some degree based on the players and their uh, optimal, you know, energy arousal, what they like, you know, they need to be calmer or more pumped up and how much pump up can they handle or want. But um, you know, I I really um, I, I like uh, music personally. I, I go Guns N' Roses, same same tracks. You know, when I play, it's it kind of locks me in, um, uh, and so so that's some, something that just sort of puts you in that state. We're all we're all trying to find, or we ought to find, try to find that state that helps you, of course, play at your best. I mean, that's what this is. Uh, to me, all about how well can you play today? How how can you push the envelope in, in these areas and play? You know, winning is a, a given. You want to win, of course, but what's going to help you feel satisfied with your your game today and um, in this tournament? So, uh, I, getting clear on those those intentions are really really grounding, really helpful um, because it sort of supersedes the the seeds and people what people will say and before the match or after and all this stuff, but. Um, I, um, uh, for me in particular, being loose was really transformative. So I talked about focus. I mean, that was just, it opened the door that we have a choice over where we put our focus, but then that I then can also choose how loose I want to be really. Wow. Like that was a completely another dimension of, so I'm visualizing basically, being loose and ripping with my forehand, using my strength, loose. And if I play loose in that match, I'm happy, right? So so like that's my mission and I know what loose feels like. I know it's a commitment. I know it's giving myself permission to be loose. There's a lot of aspects, but once you lock in and that truly is your your intention, uh, it gets pretty fun to see how loose can you play today. I mean, that's sort of how in the last decade for me easily – or more has been the fun part. Like how loose can I play? And that's worked out really well, you know? Yeah.
1: That reminds me of, um, it's not tennis related, but golf related. Um, and I don't know if you guys have heard of, uh, uh, Lynn Marriott and Pia Nielsen. They run a program in Arizona, Vision 54. And they talk a lot about what you just said, Jeff, but actually training that way. So, Play as loose as you can. Now also, go play a hole as tight as you can. Right, exactly. So that you can find those extremes. Play as slow as you can. Play as fast as you can so you find the right tempo.
0: Um,
1: Then also try different balances. So try hitting with all your weight on your back foot or Mm -hmm. on your front foot and Mm -hmm. then being centered. It's a really good way to help people – sort of create awareness on the extremes and then maybe find that Goldilocks zone for yes. them. Yes. Um, and then just, you know, that's why, I, and Josh and I have talked about this in other areas. So it's can often be really helpful to read about other sports and what they're doing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and bring some of those concepts to, 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 to tennis. I'm just curious, you know, your thoughts on that and, and maybe if there are other maybe sports that you've borrowed from that you've brought to tennis.
2: Yeah, no, it's a great, great point. You know, again, that contrast effect, Brian, where you're, you know, the awareness, physically sensation of of tight and loose, which is why I have the dials, you know, in my course, actually online course has three dials. So I teach focus dial, loose dial and intensity dial. It sort of occurred to me, it hit me as I was playing really well. And I'm, uh, you know, a, a transformed player, you know, from, from when I was younger, you know, I still feel like at 54, I would beat myself in college, even on the pro tour actually, which is, I, I, I sometimes hesitate to say it, but I really believe it um, because of the state that I'm able to access, you know, and, uh and and knowing the the difference in that regard so that you know th- those dials are really helpful to, to modulate where do you uh, feel the loosest and can you go from a seven to a five you don't need to go to a two so in a match it just needs to be a notch and you get some momentum and feel a little more in control so just even one notch seven to a six six to a five kind of thing makes a big difference um so that that's really interesting what you're saying um And, um, and as far as other sports, um, I mean, I think it more, I borrow a lot from my clinical, also my clinical background as a, as a psychotherapist and, uh, we're, you know, understanding the brain and borrowing from various, um, uh, models, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, obviously thoughts, feelings, behavior, understanding the connection between our what we think, what we feel, what we do, but now, and also then, you know, act, which is acceptance commitment therapy of of accepting the tension, accepting the fact that you just got a bad line call. Like, you know, this, this act of accepting, a lot of people think that's like giving up, it's giving in, you're defeating, you know, but it's actually really powerful. Like you just got hooked on the biggest point of the match and you just smile, you, you, you smile to yourself. Like bad, you know, you shouldn't have done that. I For me, it motivates me to play better if someone's gonna do that. But so to to, to borrow from some of these disciplines, um, and, and understanding how to deal with thoughts and language and separating your, your, you know, self from the thoughts a little bit, distancing yourself in matches and again, focusing. So I borrow more from sort of the clinical world actually, or have for a long time and sprinkle it in to the peak performance stuff. And it, it's, it's, um, it's been really, really informative. Um, but I think that you know, I think you probably agree that that all of the most of the skills, if not all of them, translate uh into all the others. It just it's about application in the moment, given the the speed of things in basketball and soccer and the priorities and so forth certainly change, but and the individual nature of tennis, but but it's it's really applying these these themes, concepts, yeah.
0: Absolutely. I think that that theme of acceptance is, is something actually we we're just talking about in, in our most recent episode with uh, with Nikola Milinkovic. We were talking about this concept of, you know, anxiety as as you're competing and being able to, you know, ex- accept um, th- these feelings that you're experiencing. And you mentioned it yourself, um, you know, in a, in a match that you were playing um, where you, you, were, you started, you know, you went down in the beginning. You started thinking about the score. What if what if I get bageled here? but just being able to accept that thought as, as a thought itself and not you know, take ownership over it, not, not identifying with that thought, um, but just accepting it, acknowledging it. the feeling it. too, right? Yep. And, and, because the feeling comes quickly. You have a th- thought,
2: feeling, and then it's like, okay, here you are. In three seconds, right? That match I mentioned against uh, uh, Clavette, you know, it was unusual for me to play on the court where I won the world championships, 45s. I'd won the tournament three other times. And now I'm playing a guy who beat Agassiz twice, Federer, Hewitt, and others, 17 in the world. I was 795 in the world, right? So I have this sort of gap, but I go in thinking I'm still pretty confident, but I did let his resume, I think at the, la- at the end of the day, when I, before the match, I had a moment where I didn't feel that same confidence that I typically would feel um, against a player who, who has that experience. And I, it just immediately got me a bit anxious and tight. And you were talking about acceptance. And I have realized that the, it's the anxiety of the anxiety often that is our bigger enemy, if you will, right? That the, that the nerves... The heart pounding and so forth that 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 stuff with it with some good deep breathing, you know um, smiling, doing a few of those physical things, but also shifting your focus, can take that all down, whether it's in a game or you know a couple games or even maybe a point or two but but it's that pretty common anxiety that now I'm feeling and thinking this that's bad, and then they get they get embarrassed or. Caught in it. So, yeah. So the acceptance is a very, very powerful uh, uh, choice in the moment. Yeah. yeah. I feel
1: like another aspect of your work, Jeff, that I've, I've read about and, and I've used, we haven't brought it up yet, um, but it maybe goes a little bit like acceptance is gratitude.
2: Yeah.
1: I think you do talk a lot about gratitude. And I remember, maybe I got this from the CD way back, but I remember using that. Uh, and I was playing a 35s tournament, maybe 2003, 2004, big serve and volleyer, not my favorite style of mm. opponent. Yeah. And I was having a really hard time breaking him. And I got a break point and I used gratitude in that moment just to kind of change it away from pressure. Like I have to win this point. I'm never getting another break point. Right. Right. And I just went to gratitude. Like I'm grateful for this opportunity and it broke him and ended up breaking him a couple more times using that. Yeah. And I'm just curious how you came to bring gratitude into your process and in your own game.
2: Yeah, no, it's a great, great, great question. And, and that you actually use it. You gave a great example of actually applying a concept in the moment. Yeah. Break point. And most players are, are, uh, you know, Oh, okay. Big point. Let's let's go right here. And, and it's like, to be able to widen your, your view, which we know can relax us by, by widening and not getting so narrow. I mean, sometimes we need to be narrow, right, on the ball. But, but so gratitude is a really expansive place. It's not normal. It is not normal for us as a species to be grateful. Because if we had been grateful 5,000 years ago, whatever that is, uh, coming out of the cave feeling really good about yourself and you come out you would not last very long back in the day so so gratitude is something that's i think been it's a newer concept it's coming on blazing the trails now more more with mindfulness as well but it's not a normal state you know it, we're, we're wired to to protect and survive and uh, more than ever now but the calling on gratitude it's very difficult to be angry very difficult to let tension control you as much when you when you sort of tap into a genuine sense of gratitude if it's forced and it's fake obviously you know you only get so far but but if it's genuine like I'm really lucky to feel this pressure you know Billie Jean King's pressure is a privilege I mean you know you could be in a lot of places right now you're it's five four break point you're not down you know match point you're it's break point maybe match. I guess yeah so and and like this is a pretty cool thing you've chosen to do is play tennis and here you are like your heart's pounding and what's going to happen it's it's a it's definitely a perspective as you know i think um, gratitude's been wired into me early in terms of i just used to be extremely aware of you know not to get too philosophical but the fragility of life of how we're really uh again now more than ever but just it's temporary and like uh, if you win this tournament in 24 hours, you're going to be thinking about the next one or, you know, uh, it's, it, things don't last like that and that, But I think the way you compete, the how loose were you, how aggressive were you, were you committed? Were you all in? Did you really go for it? And these are the things that I think matter, but I've always been just really aware of um, you know uh, the good fortune and, and to be more specific, just cause it's, it's, interesting anecdote. It was really Christopher Reeve, Superman, back when I was 30 years old. This was right before I did fearless tennis. So here's Superman. He falls off a horse and he's paralyzed, fully paralyzed on a ventilator, right? And I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm 30 and I'm playing the men's opens in, out in NorCal and here. And I don't know, it just struck me that even Superman, you know, can get paralyzed. I don't know. But there was something that clicked then about even more about just appreciating what we have and pressure and, uh, the game of tennis and competing and so forth. So I don't know. I try to sprinkle that in for sure with my clients too. Yeah.
0: I like that. I like that a lot. I think it's, um, can be challenging, can be challenging in the moment to, you know, to access that gratitude. Um, I think I I actually mentioned in an earlier, um, an earlier episode, I had a situation in college. Um, the only time I lost 6 love 6 love and it happened to be on the courts of Indian Wells and mm-hmm. i was you know getting getting crushed not having you know maybe my best day on the court but i remember a moment you know looking around mm-hmm. saying wow this is you know the most beautiful landscape i i feel blessed to you know have this opportunity to be playing on this court um unfortunately it didn't that that moment didn't you know help me turn it around but i, I think that you know being able to access that in in those key moments, in those challenging moments is, is, is tough, is is tough, tough for any competitor, especially um, in the heat of the moment when, when winning is on your mind and when performing at a high level um, is on, is on, is as first and foremost. Um, I guess, I guess where, where I struggle with is how can we help competitors, you know, break past sort of convince them that, um, to To break past this this mindset of just seeing things as winning and losing when they're when they 're actually competing and trying to focus on you know things like the process and things like gratitude and you know staying in that in that present moment as they 're out there um knowing that that will lead to you know to to better to better performance at the end of the day. I feel like i, I rambled a little bit there but um oh, I'm with if, you. that makes sense
2: it makes perfect sense josh absolutely and uh you know I would, I guess, what I would say, you know, early on in my in my career in sports psychology, when I came out of graduate school and trying to apply all, you know, these things in matches, it was like, wow, it's you know, the process was huge and for me, and I really wanted to, and and the outcome was sort of, it was almost like uh, the outcome was the enemy in a way or something, I don't know, but but over time I realized it's really this is all about a a balance because of course you want to win, you want to do well, and we would be. I don't think being, you know, genuine, if we said, oh, it's all about the process. I mean, uh, but the more important or I think perhaps compelling aspect is that if you focus on the process, it's going to help you get a better outcome, right? So the reality is the process is the new outcome. And that's how I kind of think about it now. The process is the new outcome where, because if you do the process, if you commit to it, if you own it, you love it, you know, it's your thing, being loose, focused, that truly is something you're curious about, right? And willing to play around with. And you see that it creates the outcomes better than you imagine. You're going to stay with the process. It's not a question of should I or shouldn't I? It's like, it's really a, it's what it is, is a glitch in the mind when you're playing to think about the outcome or before I want, I hope, what if I do, what if I don't? That's all a glitch in the brain. But uh, what we need to quickly get back to, you're showering, visualize yourself hitting your, forehand and down the line backhands, you know, before the match, you start to, oh, I hope, hope this or my UTR will drop You catch it and you reroute, you know, and it's that process of redirecting your mind to things that will help you enjoy the game, be more satisfied, feel more in control and win more. And I want to just add to that, um, you know, you, this is really important. You asked a great question, like, well, how do we get these players to, to do it? Right, it's easy for us to sit here. We're talking about gratitude and process, and but you're out there and your heart's pounding, and there's you know 20, 50, hundred people or more watching, um, and and you're going up for your second serve on a big point or whatever. It's it's real. It feel your arm gets a little tight. I've had top players, D one pro players, their arm have, that's gone, you know just noodle, noodle arm, right? Just, and, and they serve in the bottom of the net. I guess he did it. Zarev we've seen go off the rails. I've even seen Federer. You had a 40% first serve percentage. Like, so it's, it's not, it's not unusual to, to, to have these moments. And, and what I want to say is that the thing that the, that sort of drove me was that I don't want to be a victim of my, the glitches in my brain. I don't want to be a victim of my tight tension. I don't want to be 795 in the world if I could be a top hundred player. Now it was too late to fix that, but like, um, and so when I what I try to do is is help players um, recognize that they they have a choice and teach them about their brain a little bit so they can start to you know have the frontal lobe talk to the amygdala where the fight or flight happens, right? That there's a, hey, I, I this analogy is all the time, Like I'm in the driver's seat. Fear, negative thoughts, outcome. You, you're in the back seat or in the trunk. I'm going to blindfold you. You know, I'm going to gag you. And I'm driving today. I'm in control. I want to be loose, focused, good intensity, whatever. But that, I think, commitment, that stubbornness, that unwillingness to waver into the, brainwashed future what if world it's not fun and it doesn't create good outcomes. So let's start to drive the car. Let's, let's put the key in and, and, and kick, kick fear out for a while, send them on vacation. So I kind of approach it like that a lot. and, And that seems to resonate particularly with the younger players too.
1: Yeah. And I think as you get better and better, you improve, not only your ability to focus on the process but you improve your own process Definitely. you you know i often like to think of it in terms of a recipe and you know cooking because you know what goes into recipes are ingredients yeah and you then you have very specific instructions that you follow which could be your routines or whatever else and mm-hmm. you're constantly looking to have better instructions and higher quality ingredients
2: totally it's a right. great way to think about it I like that, you know, because every little, you know, little paprika, a little dill, no garlic this time, forgot the olive oil. You know, it's going to make a difference in the taste, right? And it's in the dish. Yeah. And I had
1: one player. So I used to do this exercise where I I would say, all right, I want you to write me a recipe for a great performance. And Mm -hmm. he uh, is the only player who's ever done this. And he was a D1 player. He Mm -hmm. actually called out some bad ingredients that he wanted to strain out. As part of his instructions, like, wow, that's really cool. I mean, you're going sort of next level here with our metaphor, right. but
0: right. it's
1: interesting you called out something that really happens
2: to you and how you want to do something that gets it out. And, and what's amazing too, uh, I find this too in my own life. I, you know, more and more recognize things you may want that you f- you don't spend the time creating the recipe, the 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 ingredients, your process. You don't. So, what are the what am I going to do when I I get tight. One, two, three. What am I going to do when I miss a sitter volley on a big point, pivotal set point? What am I going to do? Right. You know, to have that be clear. So, so they're ready for it. I think that's important too, particularly, yeah, for a lot of players because they they're in the moment and, and and the emotions take over. So yeah, it's a great point.
0: Absolutely. I, I think having, having a plan for those, those types of situations rather than just, you know, avoiding or not acknowledging that those situations can occur having a, a plan and writing, writing down some sort of plan um, yeah. for if I double fault at set point or, you know, how do I regroup for that, for the next point? I, I really like that. Um, I, are you, are these the, the types of things, um, you know, I, as you continue to compete, are these, these skills and these processes things that um, m- maybe not this year with the pandemic and everything, but um, w- when you're on court, do you find yourself, you know, Coming back to them time and time again.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, I, because I only play three events a year. Um, uh, you know, typically the year I saw I, met, I saw you at the San Francisco Tennis court, That was four. With the challenger play, going down playing a, a pro challenger. Um, but uh, I I have to rely on on the tools we're talking about. Uh, I'll go into a tournament haven't played you know maybe for four months. Um, even at, believe it or not, maybe played a set. I don't even play sets before tournaments much personally i that's just i have a lot of mileage now at this point and it's really you know when you are loose and focused uh you know sets get you in a groove they give you confidence and you know you're and, and certainly it's good, really important to do for for most players and uh but i find that the the dials that that if you're really dialed in and doing the executing these these skills and pretty good at it i mean it's like you're you've been playing it's, you don't feel like you haven't played or you don't have the confidence because you're confident in your toolkit, your process. And you're not just basing confidence on, well, I, you know, I beat the UTR guy who's like 11 UTR or, you know, I last week or this week, I was really hitting my serve. Well, it's not based just on that. It's based on the things that you have control over, of course, uh, to make adjustments. So, so I rely on them for sure. Uh, before and during matches, 100%. Yeah,
1: And then your experience as a competitor also, I'm sure, helps you identify with your clients.
2: Yeah. Yeah, because you, you can – I think after a while, it can get – if you don't compete, if you haven't been put in the pressure situations, and it doesn't have to be tennis or sports per se, but if you haven't felt it, um, and players are talking about that acute – Anxiety, fear, tightness, pushing, playing safe, even so even though they committed to, and had the intention of being aggressive, they played safe. It, you know, when you get back out there and you're in that moment and being pressed, you, you remember that it, it takes fortitude, it takes uh, commitment and willingness to be uncomfortable. You know, when you're tight, you're at a seven and you, you decide to step in and crack it, and you missed. Uh, but that's to me, is an investment in the rest of the match. And it sends a signal to your brain that, you know what, who's driving here? I am. And I, I'm, I, I'll lose this point. I may even lose this game because this way of playing is what's going to get me to where I want to go eventually. So that's a, it's a sell. Sometimes it's a, it's a tough sell. I will admit it. I will admit it to, to kids, but that's our work. That's, uh, you know, that's how, uh, that's the art and the science, right? Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, the fact that you do compete, Jeff, means you can identify with how your clients are feeling. You've been through what they've been through to a, you know, to a certain degree. I think, you know, maybe kids today go through a slightly different arc of how they get to college tennis and pro tennis than we did maybe. I mean, you and I are around the same age. Josh is much younger. Um, but, you know, growing up in the 70s and 80s, really different than growing up now. For right? sure. Um, but I still think it's really helpful that, you know, we're staying out there competing because you're, you're able to feel some of the exact same things.
2: And some of those feelings are recent. For sure. For sure. But to your point, Brian – um and, and Josh, I'm sure you could attest to this that the pressure now agreed is is it's another level couple levels in the we know what you get when you play these and get to college and success and having just more disposable income than we've ever had, at least pre-pandemic. I don't know what it will look like after here, but no, but there's a there's a, there's a lot of expectations and kids have expectations of themselves, parents have expectations of the kids, uh, whether they That's covert, you know, or or moreover, you know, they 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 communicate that to the kids or just demonstrate it. But but there's the expectations is a crusher. It it sets everybody up uh, for disappointment, tightness. Expectations, in my view, are really um, destructive um, because it it kills curiosity. It kills you know, joy of beating a guy who's got a half a point UTR lower and it's like, well, I'm, I should beat him, all that stuff you know about. But so it's, um, it, it's really important for us to reach the parents and the kids and try to hold up an alternative view and, and a way of, of competing that doesn't negate the reality, but helps them immerse in the thing they're doing so they get more of what they want in a more enjoyable way, hopefully.
0: Right. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I totally agree about that. That point about expectations. Um, one of our previous episodes, we talked about um, we were talking about the French open actually with, you know, Nadal and uh, Iga Swiatek both, both winning and both this, both having this um, incredible ability to stay in the moment. And, um brian i I know you brought up the the quote um keep keep expectations low and standards high, um which I think is you know having these expectations on herself, we should be winning this match this is you know this is a winnable match or i I should be beating this person um just puts pressure on us is gonna lead to that tightness that you talk so much about
2: yeah, and to state the obvious the expectations when you know happen to often be more often than not on the outcome right. And, and if the expectations, to your point, Brian, of standard, you have a standard of being loose and, and aggressive and executing this tactic of, you know, that that's really important. And but, yeah, the expectations just by nature seem to go to this is what I want to have happen, you know, outcome. Yeah, right. Whether
1: that be an outcome or some other thing you can't
2: control, like this college coach, I
1: want to impress that person you know or what is, mm-hmm. what is he thinking or she thinking that type totally. of thing where the totally. standards is more so it's really more of a shift from focusing on things i can't control to focusing on things i can and bringing excellence
2: to what i can and that's right. you know Absolutely. that's uh, that's sort of the secret sauce you know rafa says it all this oh how, rafa how are you doing this again french over well <laughs> oh, you know i focus on i control and you know it's, it's all athletes know this it's a, it's a mantra that it, you know easier said than done, obviously, but that is a, a a great insight and one to to practice. Yeah, yeah. So perhaps to
1: start wrapping it up for you, Jeff, we want to be respectful of your time, um, and we can go anywhere you want with this. But I, you know, one of the things I thought we could at least bring up, um, you know, some of the work that you're doing. You've got your course, you know, on, on your website. Um, your book is something I said earlier that, that it's a book that I highly recommend, um, you can show it here for our YouTube viewers. Um, what, what is, you know, what are some things that you're working on now that, you know, as you, like you said, you've been in this business for over 22 years, we're always constantly evolving. What are some of the more, maybe the more, uh, focal points or salient points that you're, you, you know, focusing on right now with your clients?
2: Yeah. Um, so all the you know content we've been talking about and and so forth, I, I just uh, am always working on best best ways to deliver it and have it be received and uh, by people and have it resonate. So I'm I'm always certainly in the laboratory thinking about ways to to deliver uh, to folks in 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 that regard. My course, Fearless Tennis, uh, is uh, you know includes these skills of focus, internal and external, and. How to apply mindfulness and gratitude, and 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 pre-match routines and things, and having players go through the videos and worksheets and so forth. So it's a really self-paced course. So that's and I continue to add to that. I have some more I'm going to be putting up soon, probably in the next few days, uh, adding a chapter to that. So so that that's evolving. The course I did with Craig O'Shaughnessy, I'm really really excited about. It's been very successful. People lo- love the idea that let's not keep mental game on one Island technique on one Island tactic on another Island. And we got strength and conditioning and so forth, but it's always sort of struck me over the years, how the mind and the, um, the mental aspect has been isolated often. Understandably it's not in, you know, uh, uh, easy per se, you have to understand a lot, but, but pulling these things together, you know, Um, And because your experience when you play is, it's an integrated one. You're, you're there and trying to return serve and scores close. How do you do that tactically and mentally? Uh, And even at times, although very rare, technical cues and little, little adjustments you can make very quickly without overthinking important. But um, Craig O'Shaughnessy and I created the, this course about this match with Clavette where I got tight and I talk about all the nuances, the tightness and the focus and where it went, how I got it back um, and tactically how to shift your uh, and adjust to your strengths first strike, doing the things you do well in the context of shifting your state and your mental and emotional state. So put, you know, bringing tactic and the mental game together, I, we're both very excited about. So, so that seems to be doing very well. Um, And, and so, yeah, I think that's, Those are some of the things I'm doing. I'm I'm looking forward to doing some more speaking and writing uh, as time goes on. And after hopefully we get out of the pandemic here uh, with six months and we're all vaccinated and we can gradually get ourselves back to, you know, something we had before, which uh, speaking of gratitude, I'm sure we're all going to feel uh, a renewed sense. If not, if we didn't have it before, gratitude of, and of course, tennis, we still can play. um, And that's been amazing for people including myself to play tennis what a great sport for for a pandemic where you can be 70 feet away right so so that's a, a gift I think for us for sure well Jeff yeah.
1: thank you so much for coming on yeah. and, and speaking with Josh and I about your experiences your, your background it's been really a cool conversation and I knew, I'm, I'm sure everybody learned a lot I know I did you
2: no know, it's great to connect with you guys and um, let's, let's continue the conversation. I think we learn from one another and uh, great to, to be here. Thanks for having me, you guys.
1: Josh, that was a, another great conversation on our podcast there. And uh, I mean, Jeff is a, not only a fantastic player, but fantastic sports psychology professional. I think the thing that I, I want to really highlight for our listeners is, is that whole idea of being able to play Fearless tennis and, and really a lot of that coming through your ability to be loose and commit to being loose, choosing to, to be loose. We're so often tight and we get, you know, he mentioned how we kind of get stuck in this cycle of, of staying tight, even though we don't want to be tight. Um, and I think it's so important that we try in practice to play as loose as we can. You know, and he mentioned progressive muscle relaxation as a way of, of maybe getting there on the court. Um, and as a player who himself has struggled with tightness on the court, it really resonates with me that that you know we need to do this t- in order to find our best performance. And so, uh, I really like that aspect of what of what we discussed. What what was you know maybe a a point of emphasis that you wanted wanted to um, bring to the audience?
0: Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I think that um, that experience of of feeling tight. Um, while while competing is is probably something that most most if not all tennis players have have gone through so I think um his perspective there and his his guidance was was definitely definitely really helpful um I would say my biggest takeaway was actually him talking about how to spend time in between points and uh developing a routine for in between points um particularly this concept of um, tying in mindfulness um in into that uh, in between uh, routine, um, particularly trying to feel your feet on the ground. Um, and, you know, really get that tactile sense that, um, that sense of, of feeling, you know, of, of, really actually feeling your feet on the ground or feet are, you know, always on the ground or, you know, when we're playing, but how often do we really notice it? So, um, incorporating that in the, um, in the routine in between points and being able to, you know, to, to choose our thoughts um, and to redirect our focus from internal to external. So if we're, um, you know, if we're upset about the, the previous point, being able to redirect our thoughts onto something like our feet or, or like, uh, like our strategy going into that uh, following point. Um, well, that's our show for today. Um, once again, many, th- many thanks to Jeff Greenwald for being our guest. And thank you for listening. For more on today's show, please check out the show notes. If you have any feedback or questions, please send us an email at tennis at gmail.com. And you can also use the Twitter hashtag tennisiq. IQ. Um, additionally, please subscribe to the show on your platform of choice, including YouTube so that you can be notified of new episodes. And you can also check us out on Instagram. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon in our next episode.